Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Thanks for being with me here today as we talk about truly guiding your team, about really taking the time and knowing what it takes to be able to take those wonderful people that work for you and lead them, guide them to that place that makes your company profitable, but it also makes it a great place for them to work. This, of course, is Thriving Entrepreneur, and I am your host, Steve Kidd. I'm so delighted to be here with you today. I appreciate the time that you take, that you invest in being better you, but also I understand that you're taking out of your time to listen to what we're saying, to listen to the guests, to learn and grow, and to get new ideas so that you can be more and more, so that you can thrive. I appreciate you. I admire you. I'm so glad to get to be your host on this journey, and I love doing this show. I know I've said it many times before, but doing this show and doing the interviews with people really kind of is my guilty pleasure, and I am so honored to be here with you today. So let's talk about guiding your team, about truly guiding your team. There's an old saying, I actually read it in a book by Richard Marshenko, who was the original team leader for um, and founder, really, if you will, of the SEAL teams. Um, and he says, you manage things, you lead people. Now, that doesn't mean you do the work for them, but that means that they know that you're out in front with them. You are on their team, and not just driving them with a whip from behind, but really having the encouragement every step of the way into everything that you do. And so when it comes to truly guiding your team, there are some skill sets, some things that you need to know about planning and about being the idea person, about accelerating and growing, and most importantly, about the methods and the reason why those methods work to help your team be empowered so that they come up with solutions and not problems. Not that problems don't ha happen, but one of the best pieces of advice I ever heard a manager give was, you can come to me with any problem you have, but I'd like for you to also come with a potential solution. Because if it's a problem in your area, whether it be, you know, whether you be the low man on the toilet pole or you be over a whole bunch of people, um, you know, you're more in tune and aware of what's going on than necessarily a manager or even more so an owner who isn't involved in it every day. So those are some of the kind of things we're going to talk about. We got three really great guests for you. We are going to dive into truly guiding your team as we work together and help you learn how to live as a thriving entrepreneur. So excited for today. Let's jump right in to our first guest.
join me in welcoming Angela Johnson. Hey, Angela, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks, Steve. Hey, Angela. So we're going to talk about your book, The Scrum Master Files. But before we do that, just for a second here, for the people listening, tell us a little bit about you, how you show up in the world, and why you're the Scrum Master's master. I identify as a professional people geek. And since it's Star Wars Day, emphasis on the geek, so may the fourth be with you. Uh, so professional people geek, I I, I'm kind of a recovered project manager in that I used to be one, but it never felt right. I felt like I was checking up on people, kind of like their adult daycare provider. And when I found Scrum, I decided that's what I wanted to do. It was more about coaching, guiding, helping people. That's what gets me out of the bed in the morning is, is helping people reach their goals and objectives. So 14 years ago this year, I started my own firm collaborative leadership team to be able to do that. So I have the pleasure of coaching and teaching and working with Scrum Masters every day. I love your company because the abbreviation for it is the cool lead team. <laughs> right, exactly. And and we're in Minnesota where everything is just cooler, mm. literally. <laughs> So the book is called The Scrum Master Files, Secrets Every Coach Should Know. Um, tell us a little bit, first of all, about the difference between just a regular coach and those that understand Scrum um, and are making, using it or want to use it effectively for the things they do in leadership. Yeah, in this day and age, there are so many definitions of coach. You could look at sports coaches who do have some sort of domain acumen. Um, if you look at an international coaching federation, the ICF, they talk about coaching being completely agnostic. So it's just someone who's going to help you help yourself. So when we talk about scrum master as coach, that's only one stance that a scrum master has to perform in because they're helping people work together, hence the scrum metaphor, right? Scrummage, rugby-like huddle, helping a team of people work better together. So a scrum master has to effectively help people work this entirely different way, which is no small thing. But then they're also the teacher. They're also teaching on this new method. And in many cases, just providing objective neutral facilitation so that conversations can go better to help people meet their goals and objectives. Because sometimes we just, we have the best of intentions, but we just talk past each other or we don't understand each other. And a true neutral who's paying attention to the people stuff can really add a lot of value in making those conversations go more effectively. So coaching is that one stance, but they also have other stances that they have to assume. And so I've had, you know, scrum masters tell me the book has been really instrumental in helping them improve. But also I've had some managers or people leaders or people who are coaching new scrum masters. So that's why I'm like, hey, this is for every coach out there then. <laughs> every, secrets every coach should know. Absolutely. So a person goes to a conference or um, somebody even comes into their facility and, and helps you understand, yes, I can use this scrum thing. I can use that concept of, uh, you know, rugby and in the huddle and us really being a team and they fall in love with it and they really begin to adopt it. Um, 
But that doesn't necessarily mean that just because it sounded really cool at the conference that you don't need a little bit of help. So for the newer people that have jumped into that and they're really excited about it, what are some of the things that they really should know starting off so that they don't have to say, I wish I would have known that sooner? Progress, not perfection. Progress, not perfection. Because anytime we undertake something new, it's not going to go perfectly the first time around. And that's not even the point. Here we're talking about working in a whole different way. And it will be more effective. But initially, it's going to kind of feel like, oh, right. It, this is just kind of revealing where we have impediments and where we have problems. That is the framework doing its job. And a scrum master has to stay the course a little bit to understand this is progress. We are making progress and we will start to improve. This is just uncovering where we need to put our focus. So people get excited and then they want to do things right. So I always coach people to let that go, right? Progress, not perfection. So then let's talk about the really necessary element of people skills, you know, because if you're leading a team, you got to be in tune to the people skills. So what, what kind of things should a person be aware of to, uh, you know, cause we'll just assume they do have the people skills. We won't beat them up today, but um, you know, so that <laughs> some of them need it, but we won't do that right now. Anyway, um, you know, to be able to help, lead their team and see where those problems are coming up. Does that make sense what I'm saying? It does. And when I say people geek, you gotta like working with people. And like you say, we're not going to beat some folks up today, but I respect people for their choices. And there are some people who are like, I am so not interested in that job. Hey, thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Because we really need somebody who wants to do it. So what do we mean by getting in tune with those people skills? First and foremost is active listening. And listening doesn't just happen with our ears. A lot of it happens with our eyes. So in this virtual way of working, cameras are essential. Cameras are essential to be able to pick up on those nonverbals and those facial expressions. But more importantly, then we got to tune our active listening skills to really pick up on vocal inflection, which reveals emotion, what's being said, what's not being said. And it's really hard to do that when you're talking. So I always recommend that Scrum Masters wait, which just stands for, why am I talking? Wait, so that they can actually tune in to what's being said and what's not being said. The other thing is in the virtual realm, if a Scrum Master has to move into facilitation, like we talked about, hey, I'm looking right into the camera, so it looks like I'm looking at you. It looks like I'm looking right at one of our listeners or somebody who's watching here today. But if I'm facilitating a virtual meeting, my head might look a little bit like it's on a swivel because if I'm looking at faces, you know, I'm looking for a hand raised or a furrowed brow that shows that somebody's confused, I'm going to miss that if I'm not paying attention. And so it really takes a lot of energy to pay attention to those things and really be tuned in to some of those nonverbal things. The verbal stuff is important too, but that's easier, right? The, the verbal stuff's easier to pick up on. The, the nonverbal stuff is where a scrum master really is going to work and work at that. 
Now, the first time we interviewed you, you did a primer course for me on what Scrum even was and stuff like that. And I've had all kinds of interesting questions come into my mind now since then, now that I know what I'm talking about a little bit. Um, <laughs> and, you know, because Scrum is based out of rugby, rugby being a little bit more aggressive of a sport than some, you know, than others, it's, it's a much more active sport than say baseball is. Um, many rugby players that I've known are kind of aggressive individuals, not, mm. not, not in a bad way, but you know, they're, you know, um, you've seen those videos of the Haka. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I know what yeah. you're talking mm -hmm. about <laughs> for when we, when we bring that over to business and we bring over somebody that's running a scrum, you know, they're the master in that group. Um, when we talk about people skills, how important is it for a person to overcome that, uh, you know, I always think of Bobby Knight throwing chairs during, baseball, <laughs> you know, during basketball games, you know, come over that. Or do we just take and embrace the personality that is who we are? And if we're, you know, kind of a person, we lean into that. I mean, what, which way really, you know, does that make sense? The question I'm asking you, it the, does make how sense. we do that? It does make sense. And a number of um, articles and, and things out there about scrum mastery or coaching, we'll call that your signature presence, kind of what's your your shtick or your, your style. And not every scrum master has to be that way. I, I kind of consider myself a bit of a tough love coach, but other members of my team who are just as effective are a totally different style, totally different behavioral style. I've even had students say, I'm a bit of an introvert. Is Scrum Mastery for me? Can I be effective as a Scrum Master as an introvert? Absolutely. It's, it's more about having a servant leadership mindset. So a Scrum Master isn't, you know, command and control or telling people what to do, how to do it, when to do it, because then they're never going to learn for themselves. So Scrum Master is all about enabling that team to work together in a rugby-like approach. So the huddle, right? pulling together in the same direction towards a common goal versus if we're all doing our own thing and pulling in different directions, we're not going to meet our goals and objectives. And so how a scrum master does that, you're absolutely right. It's going to depend a lot on that person and what their signature presence is, their behavioral style is, and not everybody's going to be the same. And not every scrum master is going to work effectively with every team of people doing the work, right? So it's it's a little bit of a dance, but the same is true in almost any profession, right? This people stuff is kind of warm and squishy. So not everybody, you know, winds up playing nice with each other, but it is something to be aware of, but it's more of a servant leadership mindset. It's not about them. It's about the people they're serving. I love how you put that because, you know, then you have the elements of, you need to know who you are. You know, mm -hmm. you don't want to emulate this other person because they were really great at it um, because you can't be a version of them. You have to be you. I, I love that. That's awesome. Um, so here's the unfair question of the interview. Oh, uh, good. I want you to know it's coming so that you're all <laughs> scared and nervous about it. Um, there's so much cool stuff in the book, but right now, this moment, um, kind of like asking you, which of your kids is your favorite? What's your favorite part of the book? I'm going to have to say the case studies, and there's one in particular because it is Star Wars Day, where I really did kind of 
think about, you know, Darth Vader when he was doing his little, I find your lack of faith disturbing, you know, because uh, there was a, a situation between me and a particular CIO who is unnamed in the book to, to protect the guilty. But I think those case studies are my favorite part because that's what resonates with people. They see themselves right in that situation. And then they're like, oh, she's really taking us there. She's taking us right into what happened. And then she's helping us learn to avoid <laughs> being in that un unfortunate situation and then learning from it. So I'm really, you know, exposing a lot of my first attempts in learning my failures and enabling people to take from that and either prevent being in that situation or if they find themselves in a similar one, giving them something very tactical to do about it. So the case studies, I think, are my my favorite part. Because you brought it up and because I was going to ask it anyway, um, you talked about some of the mistakes that you made early on in your learning. Um, what is the thing that if you could go back in time and teach the new version of you that just started in the scrum mastery, what is the thing that you would tell yourself? It's not about doing for other people coming from something like project management, where we were told run around and get everybody's updates. You publish all the status, you do all the stuff for them. You go beat them up when there were not meeting the date, you know, I, I wish I had known it had nothing to do with that, that, okay, by doing those things, you're ever so slightly undermining another person's accountability. You're undermining their ability to own their own work. Cause we say we want accountability. I don't know any company that says, oh yeah, people can, you know, do what they want and not be accountable. Well, then the very first thing the company does is give them adult daycare providers to take the accountability away. So if we want accountability, you got to let people experience it. And so my first Scrum Mastery experience, I was just acting like a project manager. I didn't know any better. And, and I, I learned the hard way. So I really wish I could go back in time and go, hey, dummy, get your hands off the team's work, right? Stop that. I love that. And it just cracked me up, the adult daycare providers, because there are so many managers that that's all they do. <laughs> right? Well, and I think sometimes they don't know what to do with themselves or they don't know what to do with their time. And one of the best quotes I ever heard was from a leader who got it. And she said, thank goodness for Scrum Masters, because now it freed me to be what I always thought a leader was supposed to be. And I'm like, ah. Oh, I wish every manager thought like you did. Absolutely. I love that. And I did just, for people who didn't see it in the description, I did just put in the comments, the link. You can actually get this book. Um, and this is amazing because this is a great May the 4th present for you. You can get the book today in ebook form for free. Really awesome opportunity for you to get it. And then you're going to want to end up getting the print book because you're going to dig through that and highlight and underline. It's one of those kind of manuals. Um, so go to the comments and, and or look at the description and follow that link and get that today for free. So, Angela, before we go, um, I want you to give the wherever they are in their journey of being a scrum master, give them some words of encouragement so that they can understand that they can do it. Absolutely. Learn from your mistakes. 
because so often people get hung up on, did I do it right? Did I do it wrong? Gotta let that go. Experience is the best teacher. Just learn from the situation, take what you can from the situation, and always be improving. Always inspect and adapt. Always be improving. Mm, I love that inspect and adapt phrase too. We could do a whole show just on that. Right? <laughs> All right. So um, like you said, the link is in there for people who want to get the book today for free. But for people who they want to jump over to the next step and or they've already gotten the book, how can they work with you? How can they get in contact with you? Scrumfiles.com. And in fact, if they go to scrumfiles.com, we have another free gift for them. They get a download with how to get started with Scrum and Agile. So they can check that out at scrumfiles.com. If they're like, no, we just want to find you on socials. I always tell people to go to LinkedIn. But if they put in Angela Johnson, there's like 32,000 of us because Johnson is so unique. But if you put in Angela Johnson Scrum, I pop right up. I bubble right up to the top. That is perfect. Well, Angela, I'm so excited about the launch day or the relaunch, the marketing, whatever we want to call today, um, you know, of your book. And I'm looking forward to the exciting stuff that's going to happen today and more stuff that we do together. Everyone, you really do need to get the Scrum Master Files secrets that every coach should know. Get your copy today. Angela, thanks so much for being with us here on the show today. Thanks for having me. Before I met Angela, I'd never heard of Scrum. And now that I've helped her with her book becoming a number one international bestseller, by the way, um, and really gotten to know her and see the power of how she shows up in the world and how great her teams are, I absolutely um, advise you to, first of all, of course, get her book, The Scrum Master Files, but also take a look at how Scrum can work and help and up-level your business. I think you're going to really appreciate it. With that said, we're going to go to our first commercial break here on Thriving Entrepreneur. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet, kind of feeling, go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Schedule a talk with Steve. It's risk-free. It's guaranteed. It's proven. We've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve. Reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now. What are you waiting for? Grab a pen. Here we go. All you got to do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. 
we're talking today about truly guiding your team and we learned about Scrum and about how we can powerfully lead a team that way. And now we wanna talk about and talk to the idea guy, the leader of the company, the person who's the visionary and how we can lead and long-term plan, have the ideas, but also empower our team so that uh, all these great and wonderful ideas, come on owners, you know how we all are, we've got all these big dreams, we help them come to life rather than we stifle others' creativity or we think that every idea we have should be done or we think that the way that we first thought of it is the only way it can be done. That's how powerful our team can be. And we're going to talk about some of that and how ideas can come to life and how your team is the best way to really thrive in that situation. So with that said, let's jump in to our next guest. Join me in welcoming Rob Buffington. Hey, Rob, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Glad to have you here with us. So tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Uh, well, I'm a small business owner. I live in Omaha and have um, six different businesses at the moment. So we keep ourselves busy and married with three young kids and just enjoying the journey. Well, that'll keep you busy. Three kids. <laughs> um, so of your businesses, uh, do, are they all different or do they all, you know, kind of, are they all in the same vein? They're all in different industries, but they all tie together. So we have a remote staffing company, which is our main business. We have an accounting firm. We have a property management company. We have um, a building services company, stuff like that. And so the staffing company provides remote staff for all the companies. The accounting does accounting for all the books, et cetera. Love that. Good uh, union of, of a bunch of practical services. So uh, within the companies, what is your role? Uh very little, actually. If I'm doing my job well, I should be pretty bored, which I admittedly, I'm not always doing my job well, but I'm a big believer that you should always be a little bit underemployed. There's a saying that you waste years by wasting hours, by not wasting hours. Um, and if you're always at capacity, you won't have time to deal with stuff as they come up or look for new opportunities. Um, so I don't have a day-to-day -day job. My job is just long-term planning. My job is putting out fires, of course, as they come up, um, training people when they're direct reports, things like that. So um, does that show up as you being more of the investigator type or are you more of the creative type where you kind of come up with ideas? Which way, which way does it work for you? I'm the idea guy. I, um, yeah, I, I'm the guy who comes up with a hundred crazy ideas and 70 of them are horrible and never happen. 25 of them are okay. And then four or five of them are just game changers that change the business. Um, and I can never tell which is which. So I've got a great team to help me filter those. It was going to be exactly my next question. So as creatives, you know, we come up with all these crazy, oh, it's going to be the next best thing in the whole wide world. How do we uh, both put in place, you know, find the people who can be uh, wise enough to pick out the good ones and not just poo-poo everything or say yes to everything. Um, yeah, let's start there. How do we find those kind of people? 
That's a great question. And I'm, I think I'm still working on the answer day by day, but I would say, remember that people just because they're great at one thing, they're not going to be great at another. So keep an honest assessment of people's strengths and weaknesses. Like me, I'm great at ideas. I would be horrible at implementation or audit, you know, any of the things that are more detail and consistent, but I have people on my team that are the exact opposite there. Some of them are, you know, they're, I, I don't mean it disrespectfully at all, but they're, they're plotters. They show up, they're nine to five, they do great work, but they're, they're never going to challenge the organizational structure and change the way we do things. But without them, there's no way we could exist. And then you have the people like me that kind of shake things up and can be kind of annoying at times, I'm sure, but we were the rainmakers. Um, so the trick is finding out where everybody belongs and keep in mind the Peter principle that if you keep moving somebody until they're bad at their job, you're going to have a bad organization. So you can't be afraid to say, look, I think this probably isn't the best for you. Let's try this position instead. I love that. That's great. So, um, you know, you get the people on and, and you be able to do that. I know one of the things, if I read your bio correctly and stuff is, is that you're pretty big proponent of, uh, you know, outsourcing and remote work with all the different things you have, um, you encourage, do you do that then internally as well? Are, are most of your people remote as well? Absolutely. Yes. Um, my, my main company, Gordian Staffing, we have about 400 employees right now for clients. Uh, and we just added our second domestic employee. Um, and that's, and both of the domestic ones are sales positions. And so it's simply because they're coming to conferences and with the travel costs and things like that, we didn't want to fly somebody up from Mexico every week or two, but yeah, absolutely. Anything that can go remote should, and I, I will hasten to add, I have never fired anybody just to save money. That's not the business I'm in, but as positions churn and as people um, move and spots open up, I ask myself, could this be done remotely? If so, let's go for it. Mm, I love that. You mentioned Mexico, so it leads really well into the next question. I was thinking, um, how much of the remote staffing do you do are people that live outside of the United States? A hundred percent. It is a hundred percent remote out of, uh, we have probably 375 of those positions are in Mexico. We have about 25 in the Philippines. We've only been there about six or nine months. And most of that is we're using them on our internal company. So they're accounting staff and researchers and things like that. That makes total sense. I would assume that the business rationale behind that is, is that you can get the same person for less money per hour. Is there other reasons why you would want to outsource to another country? There are a couple and it's, it's the evolution of an ongoing process to start probably six or seven years ago, we looked at cheaper options within the United States. So we had a company that was in San Jose, California, and we recruited people from Bakersfield to be customer service reps because there was a cost arbitrage there. But the evolution of it came, it actually came out of a frivolous lawsuit that cost quite a bit of money. And I realized that the California employment uh, environment is not the most hospitable to businesses. And so we realized that not only would it be cheaper, but we could afford to pay people a lot better 
proportion to their cost of living. And honestly, we find that the attitude and the will to work is much better. And there's fewer uh, employment laws that go against the uh, companies. Of course, as soon as we get into the conversation about remote staffing, the first thing everybody wants to do is just run out and do it themselves. You know what I mean? After all, you should just be able to go to, you know, hire the people off of some website somewhere, right? (laughs) Um, Help us understand why that is the last thing a person would want to do. There's there's quite a few, and I, I will admit that that's what I did six or seven years ago. So when I say why you shouldn't do it, I know I know exactly why because I made the same mistakes. Um, there's the data security aspect. You you know if they're working on their machine and you don't have the proper procedures in place, you're a lot more vulnerable to data theft and things like that. Um, the other is the types of employees you attract. So for example, I tried to hire somebody, great candidate. And when we made the offer, she came back uh, and just said, this is a scam. You're not a real company. I'm not giving you my person, you know, blah, blah. And it's like, no, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to hire you. Um, so if you want to attract good people, you need to have the benefits and the filings and all of that. The analogy I give is if you were trying to hire a fry cook at Burger King, could you find somebody to work under the table? Sure. What if you need a VP of corporate expansion or, you know, or a COO? And you say, well, I'm going to pay you. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. So if you want to get those really skilled people, and if you want to keep them long-term, you have to go through the motions, um, particularly because what happens when they want to buy a house or when they want to buy a car or in Mexico, for example, uh, there's maternity leave, paternity leave, uh, unemployment, retirement, all those are tied to your salary. So if you're working through PayPal, you don't get any of those benefits. Same with health insurance and all that. Mm, I love that. So um, what is the downside, though, to not having the people be right there in your office? There are definitely adjustments. Um, Training can certainly be more difficult. You have to be more prepared. Most companies I know follow the apprenticeship model of follow me and ask questions while I do my job and I'll answer them as we go. That doesn't work with a remote worker. You need scripts, you need checklists, you need procedures. So it will be more difficult. But on the plus side, after your first one, you're going to have those throughout for future positions. And you'll begin to see a consistency across your company as you grow because every new employee goes through that same, um, that same process. There's, there's some cultural adjustments, but that's one of the reasons that we're in Mexico and not, for example, El Salvador or Venezuela, because there's a real, real shared culture between the countries. In the Philippines, for example, the building construction terms, the um, just the general layout, it's, it's very different. So it, it has an unnatural flow in grammar and syntax and when you want to talk about specific topics. Whereas in Mexico, they're so fluid and they're so similar that there's there's much less drag. They're also on the same time zone, which helps. Um, but it's certainly an adjustment. And that's why we've stuck to just the two countries, five years getting to know Mexico and now just getting into the Philippines, because it takes years to understand the culture and the expectations and, and how to deal with the people. So other than calling you, which is absolutely the way they should do it, 
what kind of things should a person know um, before they start looking at beginning to outsource their employees? I would say the first thing you've got to do is have a very clear understanding of what you want this person to do. We get a tremendous amount of phone calls that can be boiled down to, I need help, find me somebody. And I, I certainly empathize, I've been there, but that that doesn't help us because unless you know this person is going to answer phones for four hours a day, they're going to do AP coding for two hours a day, and they're going to answer emails for, you know, that kind of thing, you're not going to be able to attract somebody. And then there's a very good chance that the person you hire is not going to be happy in the position. So you have to start with a very honest assessment of what you need help with, what they're going to be doing, and what the qualifications are. Because as we talked about a few moments ago, you can have somebody that has amazing customer service skills, but is not a detail oriented person. So if you have an AR department and they need to deescalate people and, you know, calm them down, they can be great at that. But at the same time, if their job is primarily untangling ledgers and figuring out late fees, if they don't have that strength, they could be horrible at that position. And looking back to, you know, five, 10 years ago, there are so many employees I had in my early days that I, I almost want to call them and apologize for not being prepared to, to be their employer because I didn't understand these things. But you can have good people and bad results if you don't prepare yourself properly. And do you have like, once a person engages with you, you have training to help us be the right kind of boss to onboard the people and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, we're, it's an ongoing process. We're always developing new videos and flyers and manuals to help people understand what they need to prepare for. And then most importantly, we check in with both parties throughout the first couple of months. I joke that we're kind of like a marriage counselor because we talk to both parties. We make sure they're talking to each other. And if there's an issue, we find a tactful way to bring it up so that that communication is open. Perfect. I love that. Well, um, if you got to pick in your perfect world, what kind of uh, companies, what size, what type of companies do you prefer working with? Most of our, the most successful clients we have are between 10 and 100 employees. Um, not that we're not willing to work with the smaller companies, but we found that they have a hard time creating a dedicated position. Um, whereas the ones that are scaling from 10 to 100, they're in that difficult position where for example, marketing, they can, they need to do it, but it's not enough to justify a full-time marketing person or HR. Maybe they don't have a full-time HR person, but it's too much for the owner to do. And so that's the point where we can come in and really help them because of the cost savings. We can show them how to get a marketing person or how to get a controller position without breaking the bank. And so those are some of our most rewarding ones. And then we grow with them because they're big enough to have structure, but small enough to still pivot. Whereas when we work with clients that have, say, over a thousand employees, we help on the cost savings, but I don't usually see the company transform. And that's that's kind of the gratifying part of the process for me. Love that. So um, I'm assuming you work worldwide. Most of our clients are in the U.S. and Canada. We do have clients in Germany and a couple in Europe, but our focus is in North America. Um, but we'll, you know, we'll take them wherever. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before you go, tell us how we can get in contact with you. 
Um, you can check out my webpage, slicingthegordianknot.com, or you can follow me on Instagram or LinkedIn. Um, I try to post useful content there um, and always just check out the website and see what we're doing there. Well, I love it. Rob, thank, thanks so much for being here on the show with us today. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. I want you to think about during this commercial break, what are the kind of things that are ideas that you've come up with that you stopped yourself? What are the ideas that others came up that you stopped? And what are some ways that you as a team and you the leader of your team can help empower both your ideas and others so that your company can learn and lead and grow and help you become a thriving entrepreneur? We'll be right back. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity, and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far, and then it just fell off the face of the planet, kind of feeling go to yourbestsellertoday.com schedule a talk with steve it's risk-free it's guaranteed it's proven we've done it thousands of times what are you waiting for yes yourbestsellertoday.com this time next week you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve reach the people that you came to serve come on now what are you waiting for grab a pen here we go all you got to do is book a call yourbestsellertoday.com go to yourbestsellertoday.com book a talk with steve it's proven it's guaranteed it's gonna happen all you have to do is say yes to your destiny welcome back to thriving entrepreneur this is steve welcome back we're talking about truly guiding your team today and we've given you some really great methodologies, some tricks, some tips, and we're not done. We've got one more great guest that is going to help us accelerate and scale. In fact, that's what his whole company does for other companies is help them find how they can accelerate and scale what they do in the world so that they can be better and do better as well as talking about the culture that he's created in his company and some methodologies that he has to really make that possible so that not only he, but his company can live as a thriving entrepreneur. Let's talk to our next guest. Join me in welcoming Simon Mainwaring. Hey, Simon, how are you doing today? I am very well. Thanks, Steve. So tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Steve, firstly, I'm a father and Australian, and uh, I've got two daughters, live here in LA with my wife. Um, but quickly behind that is the fact that I'm the CEO and founder of a strategic brand consultancy called We First. And we help companies of all sizes, startups through to global enterprises, accelerate and scale their impact initiatives, whether it's purpose, sustainability, CSR, or you know, contributing in some way to people on the planet. Totally love that. All right. So um, tell us a little bit more about the company. What What is the thing that just really lights you up in what you do? Well, you know, the company was started 13 years ago when I wrote a book called We First, How Brands and Consumers Use Social Media to Build a Better World. And I wrote that book and it did well, which was great. Um, 
because I felt like the elephant in the room was business. We were creating a lot of impact, negative impact on people's lives and the environment and so on. And yet we were uniquely equipped to do something about it. And so for the last 13 years, we've been working with companies of different sizes that have woken up to the fact that not only consumers, but employees and investors now expect them to do good. And you know what I think lights me up now is the, the power of collaborative leadership. I, I wrote a new book called Lead With We, that is all about how we combine the different efforts of different stakeholders inside and outside of your company, across your industry, between sectors to accelerate and scale our impact. Why? Because the timelines we're working against are contracting towards us. And if you want to grow your business, if you want to attract the talent you want, if you want people to buy your stuff, they really want to better understand the role you're playing in the world. And I think it's a really powerful and exciting time for business. I'd love to hear you say a little bit more about the timelines are contracting. Can you can you uh, explain that to us a little better? Yeah, well, I think, you know, irrespective of your, you know, political beliefs or otherwise, if you look at the headlines every day, something's up, whether it's climate, whether it's extreme weather, whether it's overfishing, whether it's plastics in the ocean, whether it's all of these different ways that our lives are currently being affected. You know, I'm very personally affected by the fires that have been going on in California and the fires also in Australia where I'm from. And so I sit there and think, well, is this just a one-off? Is this an anomaly? But what I've come to recognize through all the research and study that I've done is that these issues are all interrelated and they're not sitting there statically in the future waiting for us to arrive. Instead, they're connected and they're compounding and growing and hurtling back towards us in the present. And it's creating this hockey stick of expectation on business to show up differently as those timelines kind of draw nearer to us. And you might say, why now? Well, you know, in the 50s and 60s, we didn't have a concern. It seemed like, you know, the, the earth had infinite resources and we could just keep growing our companies and business forever. But we kicked the can down the road in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010, 2020. And unfortunately, we're now at a point where all of our efforts, all those small efforts that we've all made that have called, had negative impact on the environment, they're coming home to affect our lives extreme weather being one of the many obvious examples. So those timelines are contracted towards us and we're out of time in terms of, you know, the license that business has to kick to the, the can down the road anymore. We have to show up differently. Mm, I love that so much. So for a person who this is the first time they've heard about that, um, how do they even know how to be able to discover how to show up differently? Well, the interesting thing is, we can all throw up our hands every day and think there's nothing we can do. It's a foregone conclusion. The weather's gone crazy. Climate's gone crazy. Who knows? And, you know, who am I? Just one person to fix it. The reality is this. The, we got into this mess together from, you know, what you did, Steve, in terms of the products you bought and the plastic, the car we dro I drove, the diet I had, all the different things that we do that have played into these issues. You know, carbon in the air, chemicals in the soil, plastics in the ocean. They're all an aggregate of all of these seemingly very small things that each one of us has done. And the solution we need is equally going to be an aggregate of everybody changing what they're doing. And the good news is, instead of feeling hopeless, every one of us can do something different. We can choose to buy an electric vehicle. We can have a more of a plant-based diet. We can look at where our bank invests our money after we give it to them. We can look at our stock portfolio and say, okay, what type of companies am I investing in? And also where you work and what products your company makes and how it takes them to market, as well as, in addition to that, 
you can have all the impact programming they do, whether it's contributing to their local community, whether it's a sustainability initiative, whether it's a diversity initiative. So instead of feeling hopeless on a personal and professional level, every aspect of our lives is in fact an opportunity for us to show up differently and say, hey, I'm going to actually make a choice that I think is better for my future, better for my kids' future or the people that I care about, and actually better for the planet because, you know, damn it, I actually like the planet. and I think we need it. Yeah, let's, uh, since we haven't found another one, let's take good care of the one we got, right? <laughs> well, I, I think I, someone said to me the other day, you know, we can turn Earth into Mars, but we can't turn Mars into Earth. And, you know, there is, there is a challenge there. And, I, and I've got to say, again, irrespective of where you sit on these issues, we've all had that moment where we've been on a hike or we've gone to the beach or we've stood at the top of a mountain, we've looked at a sunset or we've looked at flowers in the garden or we've looked at our child being born and said, you know, listen, there's something amazing here. And, I'm, you know, we're in awe of it. We just go, wow, what a beautiful moment. I think that's something that we don't want to lose. I think we've got this incredible planet that has given us so many gifts over the last, you know, multiple millennia, but also obviously the last you know, several centuries. And, and we, we deserve to respect it. And we need to recognize that we're part of the whole system. We're not in control of it because the longer we think that we're in control of it and we can just extract and use it to our own end, the more trouble we seem to get in. Mm -hmm. I love that. So um, somebody out there is going to say, oh, this is all just a bunch of hooey. Sure. <laughs> you know, there's always somebody like that. What would you say to somebody who is just, they don't believe you at all? You know, I would have said several years ago that the case for um, recognizing that something's up was harder to prove. But let's look at a number of different ways. If you look at the intergovernmental uh, panel on climate change, which was ratified by 198 countries and over 68 research institutes around the world, including the leading institutions in the US. They've made a very compelling case to say that the amount of carbon we put in the air from the exhausting car vehicles and business and so on is creating an effect where it's heating up our planet. And we're currently on track, according to you know, COP27, the recent big climate summit, for a 2.5, if not more, degrees Celsius rise in temperature by 2040. And, and these are very, have very, very serious consequences for our lives. At the other extreme, I would say, what's it been like in your own life? When you sit there and go, you know, I've really noticed a lot of headlines around all these natural disasters, whether it's tornadoes or hurricanes or fires or floods, and it seems like it's getting out of control. And I also noticed that a lot of species are really, you know, going out of existence. And that sort of seems like a really a bad thing to do to put other creatures out of existence and so on. So you can look around in your own life anecdotally and just say, do you think it's a, a reality that you should pay attention to or not? And even if you're super, super um, skeptical about it, look at the impact on farmers across the country and unsustainable agriculture. Look at the change in weather patterns. Look at the fact that we're now seeing a growing number of climate refugees because people cannot simply live off the land in their country of origin. And you've got to ask yourself at the end of the day, do I think something's up because of the way we've been showing up in the world? Or do I think one of three things, it's not a problem and it's going to be fine and it's going to go away. And let's all hope that's true for everyone. Or there's a problem, but it's not my problem and someone else is going to fix it. And that's a big hit and hope because these are big issues to solve for. Or you go, you know what? I recognize that something's up and that we need to be doing things differently and I want to play my part. So wherever you sit in the spectrum, you've just got to ask yourself, do you think something has changed because we've kind of pushed it as far as we can? 
And therefore, we need to do something differently if we're going to kind of course correct our future. And if you don't believe that at all, then it's a very simple solve. Just ignore it all and, and I hope things uh, don't keep getting hotter and our, our land doesn't become less arable and, you know, people won't have to migrate to to find, um, you know, food and water and, and I hope things will get better of their own accord. So what could a business do practically right now, starting today, that would make an impact? You know, I think we all, for a long time, and myself included, were oblivious to the impact of what we were doing. Partly because, like, even as a consumer, I didn't know what the impact of what it was what I was buying. I'd buy a pair of jeans, I'd buy a t-shirt, I'd go grocery shopping and so on. And you didn't know the plastic that was going into the ocean. You didn't know how the soils were being polluted to grow that crop or whatever it might be. In a similar way, as a business, we now need to be very, very aware of the impact we have directly and indirectly. So who are we working with, the suppliers that we work with to make our stuff? What chemicals are they putting into those products? How are they treating their employees? What are they doing to the land? Are they actually serving it or stealing from it and really hurting it? Secondly, look at how you treat your people. A big part of the dialogue around responsible business is that a lot of people haven't been paid a fair and living wage. And if you look at research by organizations like Just Capital, the number one issue for Americans across the country is to make sure that people get a fair and living wage. And then you look at the products and what you're taking to market. Is there a smarter way to do packaging so there's not so much, so much waste? I don't know what it's like for you, but I'm an Australian. I surf a bit. I'm terrible. But when I'm in the water and I see all the plastic and the crap, I go, damn, this is not okay. I don't like this. I wish it wasn't this way. There's got to be a smarter alternative. Or if you drive through any city in the United States, I live in Los Angeles, and you see the amount of homelessness. Isn't there a better solution? And there's so many issues that you know we can solve for. So anyway, the larger point is to look upstream at your supply chain, look at how you're treating your people, and also look at what you're making and how you take it to market and re-engineer it so it's more responsible, not just because you want to do good in the world, because ultimately it serves you in two ways. One, your you know brands can't survive in societies that fail. You know, your business will not survive if the society around you or the community fails. So you're shoring up the well-being of that community. But also, as we've all seen increasingly, consumers, employees, and investors want to buy from, work for, and invest in companies that are doing good. And so you're actually serving the bottom line of your business. So somebody that wants to work with you, how would they get in contact with you? Well, I think there's a an opportunity to... Um, firstly, better understand what's going on. And I've got a course out there, leadwithwecourse.com, leadwithwecourse.com, that's based on my book, which is available on Amazon. I would really check that out because we've been working with startups and Tom's and Timberland and Virgin and so many other companies over the last 13 years. And we've taken all of that insight and learning about how to drive bottom line business growth by creating impact into that book. And it's all laid out in the course. So leadwithwecourse.com. Um, and then also, you know, if you're interested in consulting and that sort of thing, you can actually go to wefirstbranding.com, wefirstbranding. That's my company. And here's the great news, Steve. This is not the end of something. It's the beginning of this amazing rebirth of business where countless millionaires and successful brands are going to be created as we look at all these problems we're facing and recognize that they're marketplace opportunities in disguise. And when we start to work with nature rather than against it, we not only protect our own future, 
but we're going to start to unlock incredible opportunities that will give us personal fulfillment as business you know, owners and, and, and entrepreneurs, but also make a difference that will really make you feel kind of fulfilled in your own life and, and make sure that your time has significance. And I think that's a really important part of it as well. Well, Simon, I really appreciate you spending some time with us here on the show today. All right. Thank you so much, Steve. And thanks to everyone listening. That was some great information, and I hope that you will apply some of that We First principle to the things that you do inside of your company to help make that wonderful company that you have an even better place. Truly guiding your team is about you as the leader, having the vision, having the methodologies in place, and also being able to be flexible, to pivot, to move, to learn, to grow, to do the kind of things that only you can do, absolutely, but also to not do the things that other people should be doing. Um, Remember, as we said at the beginning of the show, we manage things, we lead people. When we lead people, that doesn't mean we do their job for them. That means that we are out in front casting a vision. We are pulling our part. We're doing the things that we need so that they can come along beside of us, behind us, in the things that we've left in their charge, and they can make the difference in this world. That difference that only they can make because of their skill set, because of their unique brilliance. We want to encourage them just as much as I encourage you every week to know that you are uniquely brilliant. You were created for a purpose and the world needs you. When we can help our team see just how much we care about them being in our in our company. There's an old saying, I remember the first time Lily taught it to me, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People want to know that they're important. It's more than just uh, we want to create a methodology for people to say, what's in it for me? I don't really think people are quite that selfish and shallow most of the time, but they do want to know that what they're doing is making a difference. I, in fact, read an article, um, it was a little bit ago, a couple of years ago now, that was talking about the fact that the next generation, uh, you know, millennials and Gen Zs, will say on a survey that they would much prefer to have what they do make an impact than they would necessarily make the massive amounts of money that some of the generations before them was their primary driver for work. So we want to do that, plus we want the world to be a better place. We want everywhere we go to shine and live and thrive. We want to show up and live as a thriving entrepreneur. Until we're together again next time, I hope you have a great week. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. who's on a mission stand out with your brand out (laughs) check this out guys
Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet kind of feeling, go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Schedule a talk with Steve. It's risk-free. It's guaranteed. It's proven. We've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve. Reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now. What are you waiting for? Grab a pen. Here we go. All you got to do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.